world of horror podcast. And you're invited to my party, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. Hey Dave, what's up, Andy? Oh, not much. I had a great idea. I'll I'll take that back. I had another great idea. Well, the first idea I had was starting this this rad podcast, and uh, so now this is you know like our first. I guess this is our first official episode where we're gonna kind of dive into a movie and and do what we do best. Um, but I had another great idea. I I've always wanted to talk about this movie. And we never quite did it with Black Cat Shadow. It just never kind of came up. Um, and Brian did a, a great job talking about this on his podcast on Terrible Terror. But I figured, you know what? This is our our chance to talk about it now. And that is Chud from 1984. And I figured, hey, the more the merrier on this episode. So um, we got our good friend Neil across the pond there. And uh, he's he's joining us today to talk about Chud. Hey, how's it going, Neil? Hello, fellas. How you doing? Doing great. I'm looking forward to being on this one. It was one of the first films that me and you ever spoke about, I think, on, on Twitter a couple of years ago. So, Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you made the, some really cool poster art that I still have that I'll probably try to use for this episode. <laughs> I try to pay attention to everything that Neil does. I don't know if I've ever seen the Chud poster. Special request, wasn't it? Yeah, Neil just uh, Neil made it for me, and I just I, I totally forgot I should have showed it to you. But yeah. Is your wife mad that you hung it in the bedroom? well that's okay yeah uh first of all neil hey share with the listeners just a bit about yourself like what you do um i just mentioned you made you know some poster artwork uh so just share with the people like kind of what you do yeah sure Uh, um i mean i by day um uh standard graphic artist um but by night um i have recently finally broken onto the official movie poster scene so something that i've been trying to do for a year or so um uh, an awful lot of work trying to bust into the business because it is impossible it's it's so difficult to get in there and finally i have i've had a couple of lucky breaks lockdown's actually gone my way um i'm one of the few people in the world where lockdown's actually <laughs> actually really helped me out so um, I've now started doing a fair bit of work on mostly low budget films, but I've done some work for Shudder. I've done some, um, I've done some work for a, a few films that are coming out in the next year or so. Uh, I'm currently talking to Troma and, and a few, uh, a few places like that. I'm being put onto somebody at Netflix. So things are starting to, to pick up a bit. I, I do a lot of, um, pre-production work. So I do a lot of, um, production art and, fake posters that that filmmakers go to the studios to try and sell their sell their ideas with so i I do a fair bit of that um which nobody ever gets to see unfortunately and i'm not allowed to show it because it's all under nda but i get paid so it's um you know (laughs) that's the main thing at the end of the day um but yeah it's uh, um, a very busy time for me and obviously seeing uh, you guys sitting here with your logos behind you um which are both very familiar because <laughs> because uh you know again part of my day job is is making logos and things like that so um you can find me on on twitter you can follow me at neil fraser 78 or on instagram neil fraser graphics so give us a follow um and see uh whenever i get a spare minute posting up pictures um and, and artwork i do so yeah, we'll uh, we'll include those in the, those in the show notes, all of his links, and uh, yeah, got to give props to Neil for our logo for the show. Yeah, we're we're trying to think of like you know a logo for our show, and and me and Dave were talking about it, we're like man, uh, it's just like hey, let's ask Neil, and Neil's like sure, no problem, and he just like you know worked up a logo and and 
and you know gave it to us and it's really awesome it's like exactly what we were looking for so so thanks again for that uh neil yeah so i mean kind of as a way to say thanks we want to have you on the show and uh and i mean not just for making the logo but also because you've been a great friend on twitter you know we've talked a lot about movies and stuff like that and uh, we know that you are a fan of creature features so we wanted to have you on to talk about chud in fact it's my favorite creature feature i remember seeing this like for the first time back in like oh i was probably like 11 or 12 maybe and uh, this was uh back on that that UHF station where I saw a bunch of horror movies for the first time on their like afternoon uh, horror movie marathon. And that, so this was one of those movies that I saw. And I just like fell in love with it. Um, I think it was just the effects, you know, the the creature effects and, and just the setting in New York and the, the sewers, the underground. It's just really it's just a really cool story. Um, so, uh, uh, Neil, uh, when did you see this movie for the first time? This is one of those films that I know I had seen, but for the life of me, couldn't remember when I'd seen it. I I, I knew the 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 look of the monsters was so familiar, the 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 sewer grates and the smoke, and I, I, I've you know I I sort of swear I'd seen it, and it's just it just kept slipping me by, and it was I actually re, only rewatched it maybe three years ago. It came up on my Amazon list as uh, I was on a. A binge of of eighties eighties um, classics. So about three years ago, Amazon didn't have all these channels that they've got now, so they didn't have your Shudder and your Arrow, Arrow videos and all that. It was literally just Amazon, and they just had a whole section on eighties eighties classics. And I was just I just went through them all and um, came across Chud. And although I recognise bits of it, I just cannot remember the first time I saw it. So if I'm being honest. I can have to say that three years ago, which is which is shocking for 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 somebody that that, that professes to love eighties horror as much as I do to not remember watching Chud. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those ones that sticks with you for sure. And uh, hey, you know, better late than never. <laughs> also, in the UK, Chud has a very different meaning. Oh, okay. Well, would you care to share with us what that is? <laughs> How family friendly are you keeping this show? Yeah, it's all good. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, Chud is a, a local saying for when you've had when you've got hangers on after you've finished when you've been to the loo. Okay, uh, I, I yeah. got you. <laughs> Here we call them Klingons, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's many, there's many terms, but in certain parts of the UK, they call chuds. Oh, awesome! All right, well, that just puts a whole new spin on it. So, yeah. <laughs> so Dave, uh, you know, share with us uh, your first time seeing this movie. When was that? This is a movie that I've only seen twice. Um, first time I watched it was whenever... So, like, growing up, I was always aware of the movie because of the title. You know, it's an acronym. You know, C-H-U-D stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. And I've known that, like, my entire life. This movie came out the same year I was born. It's a VHS cover I saw at the store. Always looked awesome, right? Never seen the movie. Finally bought the DVD back in 2006, 2008, something like that, and watched it one time, enjoyed it, and shelved it. And it wasn't until just prepping for the show that I gave it my rewatch, which, to be honest, felt like a first-time watch. Like, I, I had just very specific two, three memories of the movie, and that was it. And one of them was how much I loved the creatures. So I have to say, on the second watch, I liked it even better this time. So I can only imagine... I, why this movie is the cult classic that it is, but I feel like it gets better the more that you watch it. And so I'm excited that we finally got to do this because I can tell you right now wholeheartedly, this was a missed opportunity when we were doing 80s movies on Dave's pop culture podcast. And that's my fault, dude. My bad. We should have did this movie a long time ago. Oh, that's okay. I mean, uh, we talked a lot of, about a lot of different 80s movies on that. So it was just uh, didn't quite you know fit in, but... Yeah, this is definitely one of those ones that I think at the time it first came out, maybe it wasn't a huge success, but um, I think, you know, with the uh, home video market and even now, like with uh, with it being on Amazon Prime and, and other things, I think it's just word of mouth. I think people have discovered this movie and, it, and it's and it's gained, you know, a cult following, which is really awesome. I was watching one of the special features on the Arrow Blu-ray and it was with the, uh, the special effects guy that did the... Uh, effects for the monsters i can't remember his name right now but he said that uh 
when he goes to conventions, he goes there for his work on other movies. Um, what was it? Oh, Dick Tracy. He was the guy that did the effects on the Dick Tracy movie. And so he goes to conventions for like that mainly, but then like people will come up to him and he said like probably like 80% of the people that come up to him want to talk about Chud. And I think that's so, so awesome. And so it, it proved to him that there is like a real cult following uh, to this movie. And I, you know, I, I definitely see why I think, I think for me, like I, like I mentioned earlier, the things that kind of stand out for me, the things that really kind of like, uh, pull me into this movie and pull in my my love for this movie is just the, the main thing is the setting you know it's that pre it's that early 80s uh new york city that's just like grungy and dirty and i think now uh neil you shared with me that website that has some scenes uh from the locations and i think now it seems like it's been gentrified a little bit and so it's not quite as uh, grungy and dirty as it used to be in the 80s but that was just it's just a really cool time capsule to see these locations from back then just to see like you know just the atmosphere of old new york city and uh and even like you know some of the scenes where they're like underground like they actually like went underground like underneath the brooklyn bridge and like did some shots there and that that's just really cool to know that that these uh underground cavernous areas like really exist and uh, i mean they did create some sets for some of the sewer tunnel scenes but but you know for the most part some of those huge areas were actually areas from underground at the actual underground and it's just fascinating to think about you know uh the society that the homeless people have built up you know with these with these areas and stuff like that and then also just the the creature you know effects there's one another thing that stand out to me i know that you know some people may think oh it's kind of silly the effects but i think they're really cool um i think the uh for being like a guy in a suit kind of thing I think they hold up even today. I mean, I, I love like the glowing eyes and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's interesting now that I've been watching it here is like with my more adult eyes, I see that they really did a good job with um, the story as far as like the, the people involved in the story. You know, they, they add some depth to the, to all the, almost all the characters have some kind of depth to them. They have like uh, really good motivations for what they do. You, you really care about these, these characters and stuff like that. you, um, you have like the photographer and his girlfriend that they're going to have a baby. They're talking about whether or not they want to actually have the baby or, or do, you know, or do the alternative. And, you know, they have that whole discussion. It's like a real moral thing, uh, which I thought that was cool. It just added some kind of heart to the story. And also like with Daniel Stern's character in the soup kitchen, you know, um, and then even the Bosch, the police chief that kind of, or the captain, I guess he isn't, um, you know them two kind of teaming up. It's almost like you almost get like that buddy cop feel to it. You know, certain parts of the movie, which I think is really cool. But uh, anyway, I won't like hog all the thing. If anybody else wants to jump in and talk about some of the more memorable things about the movie, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean the thing when you were talking about the sets for the tunnels. I mean, one thing I was noticing today is there's a few very very clean sewer tunnels, which uh, which was sort of surprising. Um, it's, which makes me think that that was the set. But it, I think this is the film that, because I love New York, I've been like three times now. And the, uh, and, and just seeing, uh, even just that opening shot where you've got the lady walking down towards the, down the street and you've got the sewer grate. Uh, that lady is, is actually um, Daniel Stern's wife in real life. But um, just the steam coming out of this. So when I first went to New York and we got down to Manhattan and I walked out the hotel and there was steam coming out of the sewers. It's like, I swear <laughs> this was just something I'd seen in movies, but it's, you know, and every time I see it now, it just takes me back to, to every time I visited New York. And um, it's, it's just, a, like you say, it really sums up that kind of early 80s New York feel, which, which you know, it's, it's for somebody, you know, somebody like me that lives a long, long way away, um i've always had the sort of affiliation with america and uh, like uh, i've got family members that that moved there before i was born and and lots of my family have sort of gone uh, tried to emigrate to america or gone to america i think something in the genes uh, i mean i was trying to move out there about 20 years ago and never never happened but um just seems to be a draw between my family and america so seeing films like this it's kind of 
it gives me the bug again, even though I'm sure my wife would be furious. I mean, I, I, I could quite happily move to, to America. I don't think my wife would be that happy with me moving to America, but she could come with me, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um, but yeah, I mean, it's just this, this and especially, you know, I'm sure most people would recognize Daniel Stern and John Hurd from a, another film, um, which uh, I will get onto a bit later on. I have I have some theories that, that I'll share with you guys later on, but um, uh, it's just a great film. I mean, it's it's the I think it was um, John Goodman appears in this film. I think it's one of his first ever roles. I think I think it's either his first role or or a very early role. And the same with um, the girl that played Lauren um, Kim Greist. I think it was um, that's her first ever role as well. So I mean, it was a it was a film that introduced you know quite a few people. So um, yeah, it's just a great film. Um, one of my, one of my, it's, it very quickly became one of my favorite eighties films, even though I didn't see it until twenty seventeen. But it's funny, man. I am um, I've never been to New York, and I'm a lot closer than you are. <laughs> but uh, I love how you guys explain how like it captures um, at least what you've seen in New York, because this is how I've always envisioned New York would be. It reminds me of like the original, like the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. You know how dark and grimy that was, like. It's almost like Gotham in a way, right? <laughs> it's just something like Tim Burton would do. But when I was watching it just the other day, I was just surprised how it seemed to encapsulate like my entire view of, of what, like, why I don't want to go to New York. You know, it's just like every neighborhood's a bad neighborhood. Every corner, you never know what you're gonna get. There's creatures in the sewers. I mean, all these reasons, right? The only thing I didn't see is. Did they not utilize pizza very well in this movie? Like, was there not a big scene in a pizza shop? There wasn't, right? I don't think oh, it was even. I don't think you even saw a pizza shop. Right. Um, yeah. No, no. Drop the ball right there. But um, so I love the environment. I think it creates the perfect setup for the kind of movie that we're definitely in the mood to watch. But the one thing that I think I loved more than the environment was the characters. For me, uh, the story was great, but man, I think the acting was just on par for what it needed to be. And like you said, Andy, I found myself getting attached to a few different characters in this movie where I was invested and interested in what happened to them. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the that's one of the cool things about this movie. It has such a great cast. You know, you have like you said, you know, John Hurd and Daniel Stern from Home Alone. Um, yeah, Kim Greist, who went on to do Manhunter after this. Um, and then you have John Goodman in in his first role or one of the earliest roles. And even uh the other police officer was Jay Thomas. And uh I can't quite think of what movies that he's been in, but he's a really familiar face. Also, um Christopher Curry who played Bosch. He's uh, he was Rico's dad in uh, Starship Troopers. Oh, is, uh, okay. He also he also appeared in the Home Alone film. He appeared in Home Alone three as um, Agent Stucky. Apparently. Oh wow! <laughs> so another another one that's appeared in the uh, in, in Home Alone. So um, and I, when I was listening to the commentary, they were talking about um, there's a scene where um, Kim Greist is doing the perfume photo shoot, and John Hurd is. Is, is the photographer and um you have a couple of like people in the background that are kind of talking about stuff and uh there's a woman in a red dress and she is actually the mom from home improvement and really? i was like i was like oh crap you know like i didn't even realize that and they were talking about that in the commentary I was like, oh that's pretty cool like she was just in the background you know it's like a, a not really an extra but you know she didn't really i think they said that she actually had a scene, but they cut it out. It was like one of the deleted scenes or something. So that was really cool to learn. I know that there, you know, there's some of the like the higher ups, you know, in the police are kind of some familiar faces. I can't quite name name them or name a movie that they've been in, but uh, and even like some of the, I think the one homeless guy, Victor, uh, the guy that got the bite on his leg, he was pretty familiar, but I can't remember what he was in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the, the cast is great in this. Um, Props to the uh, effects guy that you were talking about earlier, because even just that bite on his leg that you mentioned was, I mean, this is 2020 and I was impressed just by the standards it was at now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the effects and that guy, he actually studied under uh, Dick Smith, like the guy that did the exorcist effects. Um, Dick Smith got him on an NBC to, uh, to start doing effects for TV. So he did effects for like, starting with season two of Saturday Night Live, you know, the, he did like the Coneheads um, and he did some other TV stuff with NBC. And then like, 
Um, you know, whenever 1983 rolled around and whenever they started making this movie, he, uh, you know, they, I guess Dick Smith put in a good word for him and he got in, uh, on the effects team on this one. And, um, yeah, there, there was some discussion about what the chuds were going to look like. And, uh, even within the commentary that John Hurd and Daniel Stern, they were kind of disappointed with how the chuds looked like they didn't like the rubber suit look. They, they wanted the, uh, chuds to be more of just like a, like a mutated person or something like that. Like, uh, you know, that scene where we see with Victor with like the contact lenses and the teeth when he's kind of becoming a chud. Um, that's what they kind of, that's what the actors would prefer, would have preferred. And I think the effects guy even said that too. He would, he would have had the chuds be more of a mutated human rather than the full on like latex mask. But I mean, but then he he did say that, Overall, it was a good decision to have him look like the way they did because he liked it. The producers, they liked it. They thought it was going to be better than just uh, the the mutated human look. And but the effects, yeah, the effects are great. Um, I that's one of, like I said, it's one of the things that really pulled me into this movie. Yeah, I don't think this movie, uh, despite all the amazing acting that we get, I don't think it holds the same if it had just been uh, you know minor makeup on humans, you know what I mean? And just have them almost like in this vampiric transferred state. Like it, I don't know. I don't think it would hold the same kind of weight because like I said, you know, 2020 and I'm watching this and the creatures look awesome. Like there are so many movies that I wish would have went this route that would have definitely left a a bigger improvement for me. But I mean, that's the, that's part, like you said, that's part of the reason why people remember is because you instantly remember as soon as you see them, you oh, that's Chud. So if had they just been people in makeup, they would have just, it, this film, I think, would have just blended into the the hundreds of late 80s, early 90s films that were were like that. And you think, you know, 30, 20, 30 years later that, that this film, you know, you still recognize recognize that monster straight away. So it, it might at the time, it's, it's like when uh, some of the best scenes in the thing was stuff that they hated at the time, but they had to sort of improvise around it. And then you end up with sort of much more iconic things 30 years down the line that, that at the time people are like, this is shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But now, now it's remembered as, as like, you know, awesome. It's the same with the, the, the monster design on these. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the movie poster, it's got the, you know, it's got the chug coming out of the main hole right on the movie poster. I mean, so without that, without that, creature design you wouldn't even have that movie poster and like you said it would it would kind of probably be just this obscure 80s war movie that nobody would really remember or even care about as much and that you know an example of a movie like that that um that just kind of used more of the mutated human look was a movie called raw meat i think that was from like the late 70s um it actually had donald pleasance in it and uh it was about people disappearing in like the the subway uh system and Stuff like that. So that's kind of what that reminds me of. Is like, yeah, if if we didn't have the monster effects, it would just be another like version of raw meat or something like that. Yeah, I, th- I think I watched that fairly recently. Actually, <laughs> he was trying to watch Chud and he accidentally watched raw meat. <laughs> well, you know, I keep telling you about these these YouTube wormholes I go down. There's there's two or three <laughs> there's two or three YouTube channels that uh, that uh, extensively. I've just got one that is it just says '80s horror, and there are sixty, seventy. 80s films in there and they've got i've got one that's got like 150 it essentially just goes from like 81 and just goes all the way down to 89 sounds like uh, a, a link that needs to just be uh what we do it's our <laughs> this is our lineup for the year yeah well it's just yeah. great because you, you just you just put it on i've got work to do bang stick that on that's why i end up i ended up seeing things like raw meat because it's just on a playlist and it's just on and i carry on doing my work and it's like oh okay what's that and then Andy, I got a question for you. Um, we yeah. talked about how awesome the creatures look. How do you think that? I mean, I personally think it was a, a brilliant decision, but it's kind of like they did the Jaws effect on here, where we didn't see the creatures right away. We saw the hand, we saw the shadow, we heard them. You know, we saw their eyes only, and it wasn't until halfway through the movie or the third act where we actually got to see the full creature. Yeah, exactly. And and the actors actually comment on that in the commentary as well. They were talking about as they were acting through their scenes, they were just, they, they kept expecting a monster to pop out because they didn't know when or where the monster would actually show up. And uh, so I think that was funny because they, they knew that there was going to be a monster, but they didn't know what it was going to look like or anything. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think, you know, they did use the monster sparingly. I think it's probably good for the best. Um, and, and that's what the effects guy was even saying, too. I think just with what they had to work with. And and also the actors playing the chuds, like, they can only stay in the suits for probably like a couple hours because they said that there was like a... It was like the record heat wave there in New York City while they are filming. So the people were, like, passing out in their costumes. Like, they couldn't keep them on for more than a couple hours. They had to have, like, tanks of oxygen on, on standby, you know, so they could actually breathe. And, and I guess the, the people, they couldn't actually see out of the out of the uh the masks either well i think this is the uh, uh the, the good the, the good thing about 1980s uh, non-health and safety and non-union uh, <laughs> yeah. work, work conditions it's also the 80s creature feature trope wasn't it like half the time the costumes you couldn't see you know well yeah because they could only afford a pair of they could probably only afford the gloves <laughs> for the hands for the first time don't film, film from so. the waist down do not <laughs> yeah you get the actor in his shorts yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I was listening to the commentary and, and none of the the actors, they really didn't have a high opinion of this movie either. They kind of just see it as some B-movie that they did at the beginning of their career, which is kind of sad. But but I guess also they were kind of mad because the like Daniel Stern and John Hurd, they didn't get paid. Like, they got paid their scale wage, like, while they were filming, I guess. But, like, they, and I think they get some kind of royalties, but they didn't get like whenever the movie got sold for dis- distribution like on home video like they never they didn't get paid their whatever they're supposed to get paid so they mm. <laughs> so i don't know like they but they, i think they still like appreciate they said it was still a good experience like filming and stuff it was like fun and they they had a lot of fun on the commentary just kind of like making fun of the movie basically but uh <laughs> so is it safe to say that uh, if we ever got a chud reboot that daniel stern would not participate yeah probably not not for the scale wage. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, that I, I was thinking about some scenes that kind of stick out to me. And there's one where uh, they have that meeting with uh, the, like the city officials and like Wilson with the NRC and Daniel Stern is there and he leaves and, and Wilson picks up the phone and tells his man to follow uh, Daniel Stern's character. And so like we get that scene where Daniel Stern goes to make a phone call at the payphone. And he puts his quarter in, and the guy immediately walks up and hits the hang-up button, or the whatever, the hang-up thing. And the quarter comes out, he grabs it, and he puts it in his mouth. And apparently, that guy actually did eat that quarter. <laughs> <laughs> so, method, method acting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird scene, man. He could have he just thrown the quarter. <laughs> he just ate it. Well, my, my favorite thing about that whole scene was the bit initially where he's in the meeting, and they're having this really serious meeting, and uh, Daniel Stern sat there on on the table is that false leg because oh. he's brought that <laughs> he's brought that as like evidence that there's monster and I just just like, the the man's gone crazy he's absolutely <laughs> yeah. absolutely loopy. I was gonna say Daniel Stern is my favorite character in this movie. How about you guys? Did you have a favorite character? Definitely Daniel Stern myself, to be honest. Yeah, no, he's he was definitely he was definitely good. Like, yeah, I guess I would have to say him too. Yeah. I was going to say, I did quite like Bosch, but only after maybe halfway through the film. Because at the start of the film, you think, oh, he's going to be one of these these sort of dickhead. Yeah, uh, hateable cop type. Yeah, uh, but obviously you learn you learn a bit later on why he's a bit like that, because his wife's missing. And um, once he starts opening up, and, and, and you see the chemistry between him and Daniel Stern was, was yes. actually really, really good. So you almost had sort of two two movies in one so you had you know daniel stern and christopher curry doing their thing and then on the other side you had john hurd and the um is it Mur- is it murphy the the yeah the the, yeah. the, the reporter who just seems to come out of nowhere there's no there's no real because i thought he was the guy that kept ringing initially i thought I, I didn't get the name so i thought the guy that keeps ringing up at the start of the film to say where's my i've written the story where's my pictures I thought that was the reporter. That it would have made more sense. For, that would have made for, good sense, yeah. But he just comes out, you know, for most of the film, I thought that was him. And then I went and rewatched it. I was like, that's a different name. Yeah, but, uh, no. he's the guy that hangs out at the police station looking for a story the whole time. Yeah, but so you had, you know, those two, and obviously with Lauren, and then on the um, and, and Daniel Stern and Chris Carr on the other side. And then obviously they all get shoved together later on. One of the funny things on the commentary was. Uh, they were talking about the scenes with like, there's this one particular uh, homeless guy that's walking down the street, kind of talking to himself. 
and like, oh, he's the best actor in the whole movie. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like some some random guy. I, that, you know, it's like I wondered like if they actually like hired like street people because these people look pretty authentic. I, I don't know. But... Well, I think from from what I was reading, they did use bits of New York that actually does have the underground homeless um, sort of cities that they that they've. Um that they've put together so it, they may well have filmed around that and just had some stray <laughs> some stray homeless one of the things that was always kind of weird was the shower scene towards the end like it didn't quite like it was fine that whatever but like the whole thing where she sticks the coat hanger in the drain when the the water starts to fill up and she pulls out and like all this blood sprays everywhere like i was wondering what's the deal with that and uh yeah go dave, dave knows well, Dave does not know, but Dave also found that scene weird. I don't know if it's for the same reason, okay? But were they? Was there like a hint of irony? Was something going on there? I mean, there's jokes about what you can do with a coat hanger, right? And she stuffs oh, yeah. it in the drain, and then the blood squirts out. And my first thought was, what just happened right here? Because well, my yeah, first thought when she leans out and grabs a coat hanger, my first thought was she's not going to do what I think she's going to do. <laughs> because I was just like, it's cheaper if you do it that way. Yeah. This film's uh, going dark really quickly. And then, yeah. and then she, thank God she went the other way and poked it M down. It stands the for miscarriage. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> oh man. But, uh, no, actually on the commentary, they do address that. They said that the director said that that scene was actually an homage to psycho. Really? I don't. Well, yeah. may, is this the reason why he's only directed one movie? I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was too clear. I, I oh, yeah, love hom, the hom, intent, hom, but yeah, homages are supposed to be a look fairly obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess because it was in a shower and there was blood. I you know, I don't know if but, they would have uh, showed it like going down the drain, but that shower was so weird. It was such a like cube, you know, it was like squared, and so it looked like a public shower the way that it was designed. But I don't know, I. I would not talk about the, bad about the movie, man. Um, I love the movie. The scene, I think, had a lot of potential to do whatever. But I was really pleased that the blood squirted out because I didn't really know what was going to happen. And so part of me, because you see the bubbles coming up like it's breathing under there. And I'm thinking, like, are we going to get some Pennywise it where, you know, the claw comes out through the drain, maybe spray whatever. Um, but when the blood shot out and everything, I, I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Well, personally, the way I would have done it, which is probably why i don't make films but um and it's probably fairly obvious but i would have had to stick the coat hanger down the hole have it ripped out of her hand like so she yeah. struggles with it every time and sure. then maybe the maybe blood spurting up then but probably have the coat hanger shoot back up and it stabs her you know <laughs> yeah it was a very odd scene that that and the scene just before that where she finds the dog yeah. which is kind of well i think the the scene where she finds the dog is basically just supposed to set up the idea of what we know later and it's kind of like because you don't know whose dog that is but then if you think about it you're like yeah. oh that must mean you know a connects to b but i don't know i'm glad andy that you watched the commentary and was able to tell us because it explains what the blood is at least the whole scene was just meant to pay respect to psycho and so i can at least go oh, okay well that's cool yeah it's not yeah. not whose blood is that <laughs> yeah no i and I, I had the same like as a kid watching this movie i had the same thought you guys did was like is there like a chud in the in the plumbing somehow right. like yeah but uh maybe yeah. i got it i got it figured out it was the alligator that got flushed down the toilet from the 1980 <laughs> alligator movie oh yes what was that yeah. alligator's name do you remember it was such a, a weird it was break. uh oh crap it was raul oh is it Ra <laughs> i think it was raul yeah <laughs> it's a perfect alligator name yeah um but yeah, and then and then in the commentary, you know how like in the apartment building there was like the the lady with short hair and she had like yeah. the little boy. Yeah. Like in the commentary, they kept saying that the little boy was Brad Pitt, like in his acting debut. But I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't think it really was. The it, commentary it, is hilarious. Yeah, it was, it was pretty. Yeah, funny. it it doesn't come up in any of the trivia. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, contact Brad Pitt and his agent never never relays the question. <laughs> But no, that was actually a pretty uh, tense scene. Like that little kid, like going to grab his ball and his toy truck and the the chud, you know, banging on the door. I was like, man, that, are they really, you know, are they really gonna yeah. kill that kid off? Or well, that, that kind of, I had headphones on, and that rattling on the door was really getting on my nerves after because it gave, it went on quite a long time. The rattling, and I was just I was listening to God for shut up. 
it was, um, uh, it, it, was it was quite an extended. Whether they were just padding um, or not, but uh, yeah, I, I was expecting it to come through the door, especially the second time he goes back, because because I thought they were going to do the the old trick where the kid goes up to the uh, up to the door. He's just about to get the handle, and then his mum calls him back. But then about a minute later, he comes back, and I thought, ah, oh, now they're going to get him. But yeah. they didn't. He just went back again. Brad yeah. Pitt had a promising career. They didn't want to kill him off too early. Not exactly. Oh, I guess at the very end, whenever uh, Boshi got shot and he was laying in the gutter, I guess he was actually drunk during that scene. <laughs> That's what he said. The actor, uh, he said he was, he was just like drunk because he didn't have to do it. He just had to lay there in the gutter and act like he was dying or whatever. So I don't know. Like, I'm not, I don't know if he was just like drunk because. I, I don't know why, but it's just I thought that was kind of funny. Um, yeah, I guess originally the scene in the diner with um, John Goodman and Jay Thomas, that was actually supposed to be the last scene of the movie. But mm. I think for the theatrical cut, they moved it to the middle there. That makes a lot of sense because it did have a very end cap feel to a movie because they don't show enough, but they leave you wanting more. And I could have seen them in with that freeze frame chud you know what i mean and uh i know you gave props to brian earlier and that's when he does um he does terrible terror podcast and he had ben from the angry dad podcast and them two that you know they went back and forth and reviewed chud very much in depth scene by scene with clips so if anybody's out there who loves this general conversation about chud and has seen chud but wants to hear clips of it and get a, another take on it check out that podcast but they call out this scene alone as being one of the best scenes in the movie and i agree with them like i couldn't remember and so when i saw John Goodman, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember this. And this scene lasts, what, three, four minutes. Like it's it's not it's a throwaway scene. It really is. But it was a scene that I wish was, you know, doubled in length. Like I could I wanted to know where it was going. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I you know, even though like those that scene is short and those actors within that scene, John Goodman, Jay Thomas, the waitress, they have a very short screen time. Like you actually kind of like got to know them a little bit just in that short amount of time they were on screen, and I thought that was really cool. A lot of the actors, they kind of improvised their dialogue, which I thought was interesting. Some some of the dialogue, you know, certain scenes where it was ad-libbed were... Oh, John Hurt said that, like, the scene where he he goes back... He's, like, trapped underground, and he goes back to where Victor and Hugo live. And that's where he finds, like, Hugo kind of torn in half, which is really creepy, or really freaky. And he also finds Victor kind of turning into a chud. That scene where Daniel Stern comes to, like, like saves him, basically, because that old that lady was getting ready to shoot him. Uh, there's a scene where uh, there's some lines of dialogue where John Hurt is like, Hey, where do, who are you? And Daniel starts like, oh, I'm from the soup kitchen. And, and uh, John Hurt's like, well, I'm glad they deliver, you know, just like yeah. <laughs> as like that an ad <laughs> <laughs> um, But he also, he also does it with a kind of com- a comedic kind of like where he's all dizzy, doesn't it? It's kind of, mm-hmm. it was yeah. almost as if it, it did feel like he would, that was a throwaway line that he didn't expect. Like he thought they'd he'd screwed the scene up or something by saying it, and then he sort of went, Ugh, and then was sort of pulled off screen. But it, it felt like it was a an outtake that they just they they just put in because it, it, it was quite a good um, sort of tension lifter, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean speaking of ad libbing, uh, there's a scene earlier in the soup kitchen where you're kind of getting uh, where Daniel Stern is like introducing Captain Bosch to one of his undergrounders, uh, Val, and that actor actually ad libbed all of his dialogue which i thought was really cool um he basically took took some lines from the book of revelation from the bible and just you know said some lines from that which i thought was really creepy because the sky is fallen yeah like they have the power to shut the sky and like around the throne there's creatures with was like eight eyes in the front and the back or something like that and that just made me think of like oh is this what the chuds are gonna look like you know like does this guy like describing the chuds and stuff so that right there was like a really like as a kid watching, I was really excited. Like when I heard him talking about that, because so I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be great," you know. And then he like pulls out that knife and like almost stabs, you know, Captain Bosch. I thought that was that was really cool. You know, speaking of Captain Bosch, one of the things um, it's not on Amazon Prime. There's a there's like a new series called Bosch, I think. And uh, I was like really hoping that that was like a spinoff. Like it was like <laughs> it was like Captain Bosch cool. from the. Ch- from the Chud movie, that like following his career or something. <laughs> the story like, continues with Captain Bosch. Yeah, that that would have been awesome, but that would have been only in your world, Andy. Yeah, 
that you know, alas, it's not the same uh, Bosch. But anyway, you have a better character. chance of getting the Howling Two TV show series spinoff than this. Oh yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> of all the characters they could have chosen to do a spin-off series, Bosch. <laughs> Bosch. Uh, speaking well, of uh, characters, well, I was going to say, um, I know I kind of went around and I asked you guys about favorite characters, but I something that struck me on this was something I was kind of comparing to some other movies was I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, but I really enjoyed the way we had two almost separate stories, like you had. John Hurd and his wife, girlfriend, whatever, and their the baby, whether they're gonna have it or not. Like this whole thing with him being the jealous photographer, boyfriend, and then you had Daniel Stern run, you know, it seems like he has like a background, like he's a known th- like something, but deep down you could tell he's a good guy. Like he calls himself Reverend now and he's trying to help people. But it was like two different worlds, and I didn't feel like when they finally came together, it didn't feel forced to me. You know, like the story kind of was going down the middle and interweaving back and forth both of their lives and then it, it seemed to kind of flow together for the third act just really well did you guys pick have the same like opinion yeah i mean it, it just kind of uh, i think from because i think it's what it's, it's about a two-hour film isn't it sort of 100 and 130 it's like almost of, normal yeah like 139 yeah. or something um but sort of from that the, the minute the third act sort of kicks in when they when they end up down in the sewers it it even though there's a good sort of 35 40 minutes of the film left it just flows really quickly it's kind of a um it's just a real really good setup and then uh, obviously the payoff i think we all we all kind of knew that it was once you saw that meeting with the you know your standard elderly uh, white corrupt officials <laughs> you knew exactly <laughs> you knew exactly where the end of the film was going to be because you know most of the films that have some sort of mayor or some guy in charge is it's always corrupt and you know that it's going to get revealed yeah and going back to the pacing yeah this movie had had great pacing i think they you know you had that that scene at the beginning where the wife gets pulled into the main hole you have that scene kind of in the middle where like the grandpa and the little girl were walking down the street i thought that was a really crazy scene um you know the the guy's trying to make a phone call in a phone booth and uh and the judge just like comes out of the the manhole and the the little girl like actually sees it in first. Uh, I thought that was a really cool scene. That was um, something I was reading. That was um, for the TV release. So for the uh, not theatrical, but for the um, for the TV release, that scene was dropped. They they cut that. They cut the all the stuff about the pregnancy. That wasn't in the um, in the TV mm. release either. Um, and a few other a few other bits down in the um, in the sewers. So. Um, Captain Bosch discovering his wife's dead body that wasn't in the the uh, TV release either. So, um, I mean, on yeah, I mean, um, uh, additional moments in the scene of the Diner massacre. Um, so the two bit we know with the two, the two, the two homeless, uh, are seeing what's going on and they and they run that was cut as well. So, um, even though the one I watched technically they called it the director's cut, which is basically just Chud, um, just. <laughs> It shouldn't really be called a director's cut. There's no such thing, really. Either. Yeah, I uh, on the Arrow Blu-ray, they have what's called the integral cut. So I'm not really sure. I know I've watched it, but I can't remember now what the additional scenes were on it. Um, but yeah. Um, Can I say something? I just, throughout all this talking, one thing has dawned on me, and I wish this was a thing. Okay, so we know there's Chud, and there's a sequel, which I hope we do down the road, because I'm a big fan of the sequel. But then that's it. There really isn't much else out there. The setting is perfect. Like, Neil, <laughs> Troma needs to get the rights to Chud, and we need a Toxic Avenger meets Chud, or Toxie versus Chud movie, because New Jersey, New York, Manhattan, everything is right over there, and you could do, I mean, 84, and the, the, same year. <laughs> it's the same dang year. We, I mean, Toxic Waste is involved in this movie. It needs to happen. We need a, you need Toxie, you need Troma, you need Chud, and I just think there's a brilliant movie in the making. Well, also, if we're going to be talking about crossovers, this is probably a good time to to hit you with my my theory that Chud is actually a prequel to Home Alone. So basically, oh, wow. <laughs> if you if you if, if we take into account, okay, so the end of the film, so the Rev shoots the bad guy, um, and the band blows up. 
he'd been down in the sewer with with a whole bunch of toxic waste. Okay, so so Daniel Stern, the Rev, knew John Hurd, uh, Cooper. Um, I think at the end of this film, I think that they throw Daniel Stern under the bus because they need to cover up the cover up. So I think because he shot the guy and it blew up, I think they can they blame him, right? So they send him to prison. He gets the rap, takes the fall for everything. <laughs> they pay off George Cooper with a massive a massive payout plus the uh, change of identity and the change of location, right? Uh, Cooper, um, so he's paid off new identity. Uh, this drives Rev even more crazy. So he's sitting in prison. He's stewing. He's 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 going crazy. He hears about Cooper's new identity and he hears about where he is. So with the help of another inmate, let's call him Harry. Uh, they break out of prison to hunt down Cooper to his new home in Chicago. Now going by the pseudonym McAllister, right? Because let's face it, everybody always wonders how the McAllisters can afford a not only that big house, but can afford to take his family and his extended family on a Christmas vacation to Paris. All right. Everybody always wonders that that would explain the, the fact that nobody ever seems to, he never mentions a job or anything. He doesn't need to, he's, he's, he's been paid off. So, so you also wonder that at the start of home alone, they send in Harry to scout the place dressed up as a cop. Now, you would think Marv is the brains, Harry is thick. Which one would you send? He's got no people skills. You would you you would send Marv. Marv would go in and do all the talking because he's the one explaining to Harry what to do, but he can't, can he? Because if he walked in that house and he bumped into Cooper, they would know each other. So that hence how he sends in uh how he sends in Harry. But uh, you know, that's 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 my theory that 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 he happens to know that they're going away that that very evening because he's done all his research on him um, and also in Chud do you notice when they break into Cooper's house he's very handy at breaking into houses is um, <laughs> is the Rev <laughs> yeah. so he's obviously and there's obviously something going on like he's got a history like Dave said I think the uh. history being a petty criminal that is trying to turn his life <sighs> around and you know the end of this film sets him off again or down, a, down a very bad path I absolutely love it. I fully back up your theory. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, <laughs> especially with uh, Christopher Curry appearing in Home Alone three, which ties into the universes are tied together. No, again, exactly. you didn't just tie in Home Alone three, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> do you not I consider? Do you not consider Home Alone three canon? Oh, uh, do we have to go there? <laughs> this, this, this is the oh. Uh, oh. Home Alone Extended Universe, or something. H A H A E U. Awesome. Yeah, they made like five it. of those, man. I gave up after two. One and two are the best ones. But, you know, just to tag on to your theory, let's just take it one step further. So they call themselves the Wet Bandits. Maybe it's, you know, clearly because they were flooding houses in Home Alone, but maybe it's because all the sewers he's walking in. Exactly. I think, oh, I think yeah. there's, 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 a few, there's a few hints here and there as well. I was, try, I was desperately trying to rack up whether I could... I could I, when I was watching Chud, just thinking, is there anything in there that's got Marv in it that he could have that he could have got that name from? I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. But um, well, I think this is a good time to uh, interact with listeners and let them know if they have heard your theory before, if they agree with it, or if they have some theories of their own, or if they can piggyback on it. Let's uh, let's find out where the other guy comes from. Maybe maybe Marv is an acronym on its own. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well it's probably it's probably also mentioned actually that as it turns out that chud we all know chud as cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers but that is not the official uh acronym of chud is it it That's actually right. turns out it contamination has an urban disposal yep that's it yeah those those damn government guys you know this that cover-up yeah, no, it's interesting, and and they said it's funny in the commentary. The writer was saying that that they the first thing they came up with was Chud, and so they basically like they basically wrote a movie around that, like trying to. And, and then once they had the movie kind of like written and they were filming, they were trying to figure out how to get Chud into like the story, like the the name Chud. And uh, they at first they were thinking they could have some homeless guy like stumbling around saying, "Oh, the Chuds are coming, the Chuds are coming," and. But then they actually, you know, just did the whole government thing, and so I think that worked out pretty good. It just found it funny that they had uh, 
uh, he had those documents with it <laughs> with it all written yeah. on there. It was, like, it was almost like uh, secret documents. Please do not read. Exactly. Yeah, and all you know, if AJ wouldn't have thrown that suitcase, we would have never known what Chud stood for. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's only a matter of time for Chud goes to space. Oh that's, yeah, <laughs> that's always the fourth one. That is <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun, guys. And Neil, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been a blast having you on, and we'll definitely have to have you again uh, soon. Um, just to let the listeners know real quick like where they can find you online. Yeah, you can normally find me going backwards and forwards with uh, with either you or Dave on, on, on Twitter. My my handle is NeilFraser78, and you can look me up on Instagram, which I, I prim- primarily use as a, as a work a uh, work account, but you can find me on there under Neil Fraser Graphics, and I post various artwork that I'm doing or stuff that I'm allowed to post once it's been uh, the NDA finishes and things. So, um, you know, look me up, and um, we can uh, catch up on movies anytime. Awesome. And uh, so, uh, Dave, uh, do you want to plug anything while you're on here? Yeah, man. Uh, just always out there podcasting, talking to our group. You know, we're part of the SIP network, so if anybody goes to uh, sip.us.net, you can see some of the other podcasts in there, but you can find us on Twitter. My personal Twitter handle is at Dave underscore Phantom, and you will see where I do my own personal podcast called The Podcast from Another World, where I do throwback, just kind of B-horror and sci-fi movies from... 40s, maybe even silent films, all the way up to 80s. Um, the, the format changes every now and then, but I always got to give love to the movies that I love the most. And when you go back and look at some of those podcast episodes, you'll see a lot of really cool poster art. And that is from the guy that you've been listening to over here, Mr. Neil Fraser Graphics, where uh, I hire him to do those posters and uh, even got a couple of them printed and hanging around here. So if anybody wants to keep the conversation going with me, just find me on Twitter awesome and uh just for me if if anybody wants to like follow me or see what's going on with me um you can on twitter i'm at black cat podcast and uh then also on instagram i'm at andy estuary that's a-n-d-y-u-s-s-e-r-y follow me and i every once in a while i'll post some stuff but usually it's i'm more active on twitter i think um if you, especially if you want to see some howling to apologist post you know just follow me for that that kind of stuff <laughs> but uh yeah so that'll do it for us and you are listening to the world of horror